Section 28 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hampton. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter number 79. Camp in the Mud, opposite Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 5, 1862. I only intend to begin this letter today as I cannot hold on long in my present position. The ground for a seat, my knees for a writing desk, and my fingers blue with cold. A cold, drizzling rain set in today, which drove me under my shelter tent. Every little while a drop will splash down over my paper, and I cannot straighten up without hitting my head and shoulders on the canvas. Sally Shepard's brother, Doctor, was over here yesterday from the 9th Regiment. Saturday, December 6th. You see I didn't get a great ways on your letter yesterday. The rain changed to snow and beat in at the open end of the tent, so I had to leave off writing and get bows to close it up. This done... Bill and I rolled ourselves up in our blankets and did not rout out until supper time. As soon as supper was swallowed, we denned in again and did not dig out until morning. It snowed considerable during the night, and our light tent sagged with the weight of the snow, but, curled up like two bears in winter quarters, we were very snug and warm. We have just drawn new clothing, and I was getting in need of it. Bill and I have also come into possession of two extra pieces of shelter tent, so we can now close our house in on all sides, and when we get the rubber blankets we are expecting, we'll be pretty well healed for winter. Sunday, December 7th. We are expecting to march soon with eight or ten days' rations in our haversacks and on the wagons. We are expecting orders to cook extra rations right away. A good many troops are embarking at Belle Plain eight or ten miles below here, but for what destination I do not know. All the line officers are confident we are going home before long. I understand the adjutant told some of the boys who were transferred to the regulars that the regiment was going home soon, but that may have been simply to make them regret their desertion of the second. It looks like winter now, as it is. The ground is covered with snow and the wind blows cold. Woe be to him who has no overcoat. We are beginning to realize the beauties of a winter campaign. But the poorly clad rebels must suffer much more than we do. Deserters tell us a great many are barefoot. And that General Lee has issued instructions for them to make moccasins of the raw hides of their cattle. I am on police duty today. So between lugging water for the cooks, wood for my fire, and writing letters... I will manage to make a fairly busy day. Johnny Ogden's wife has gone home. There is a story that two men were found dead in their tents last night in the camp of the 17th Maine, probably frozen to death, as it was bitter cold. As for myself, I am equipped now so I sleep as well as if I was on a feather bed. There are more than 20 stories afloat about our going home. Letter number 80 In Camp Opposite Fredericksburg, Virginia, Tuesday evening, December 16, 1862. There has been a terrible battle in which New Hampshire has borne her full share and lost many a loyal son. 
Thursday, we began to lay pontoon bridges at points about two miles apart on which to cross over and attack the rebels on the heights around Fredericksburg. The rebels vigorously opposed this work, especially at the upper bridge, crossing into the city, and there was heavy skirmishing and a tremendous artillery fire before the bridges were laid and the army commenced crossing. Our regiment crossed Friday night at the lower pontoons, which we were at once stationed to guard. The great fight took place on Saturday when thousands of men were killed or wounded. Our regiment was not engaged that day, and by climbing a little elevation near the bridges, I could see the fringe of the fight at long range over the trees and houses of Fredericksburg. Our men advanced with the utmost bravery, but the rebels had an enormous advantage in position upon the hills and behind breastworks, and our men charged across the open plain only to be slaughtered by thousands. Saturday night, two regiments relieved us at the bridges and we rejoined our brigade at the front. Early Sunday morning, an audacious rebel battery took position in a field on our front and opened on us. The Pennsylvania boys on the picket line couldn't do a thing with them, but we sent out our Company B, and when their sharps rifles began to bark, the rebels couldn't get away from those guns fast enough, and they made no further attempt to work them that day. We kept out one company at a time, relieving as fast as ammunition was used up. I fired fifty rounds. A dozen of us lay in a ditch by the side of the road and kept up a brisk fire on a couple of houses used by the rebels as a cover. We fired over each other's heads sometimes and had a merry time. Some of our boys got cover behind a big pile of loose lumber, and we kept two men behind an old chimney. After this work had been going on nearly all day, there was a truce for some purpose or other. On that part of the line, the firing ceased and the two skirmish lines mingled together like the best of friends, comparing notes and joking and chaffing each other. One rebel colonel, for some reason or other, was especially interested in the man behind the chimney and wanted to meet him. After a time, the men leisurely meandered back to their hiding places, but there was very little shooting after that exchange of courtesies. We recrossed the river last night and got back into our old camp late this afternoon. I saw James this afternoon. He was unhurt and was writing letters. His regiment suffered severely, losing over 200. Jason Barker was killed. In the Manchester Battery, two of my old acquaintances, John Fish and Tom Morrill, were killed. And Bill Fish was wounded in the foot. Charlie Vickery of my company was wounded in the neck. The regiment lost only 12 men wounded, two mortally. I will write home tomorrow, and meantime, you must slip up and let the folks know I am unhurt. I am glad I am to name my little sister. Shall send some short, pretty name. For the past week, my rations have consisted solely of salt, pork, and crackers, and I am so hungry, I think I shall send for a box. Letter 81. Camp opposite Fredericksburg, Virginia. December 23, 1862. Received a letter from Addie last night and she said they had thought of naming the little sister Flora. I had written a day or two before and suggested the name Cora. Now isn't it a queer coincidence that we should think of names so near alike? Either is pretty enough, and I do not care a snap which they adopt. Addie wrote she imagined I would send Neely for a name, and I did think some of doing so. End of Section 28 A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes Read by Paul Hampton